Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum. This is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to Heartwork, the Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al-Ghazali's Ihya'ul-Ummiddin, the revival of the religious sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al-Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Quran, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real-life examples. At Roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics, focusing on social and spiritual growth. Your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends. Become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org slash sustain, and please honor us with a visit to Dallas, Texas. Welcome home. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to have everyone back, alhamdulillah, here uh, as we continue um, our reading of Imam al-Ghazali's text on the virtues of good friendship. How many, raise a hands if you've uh, benefited from this book so far in any way, shape, or form. Okay, alhamdulillah. So there's, there's definitely some, uh, some, something to be taken for everybody. Someone came up to me the other day and they asked the question about, you know, what if there's a section and he's mentioning something and just, you know, in all honesty, not he's like not trying to flex, but the person said, what if you feel like you have, uh, you know, this area is not an area particularly of weakness for you, right? And the answer is, is two part. Number one is that you have to do like an assessment of whether or not it really is a weakness for you. And one of the, the ways in which you assess that is not by you asking yourself, but you asking others, right? So if you want to know if you're a good person in this regard, let's say in generosity, you might want to ask your friends like, hey, do, do you feel like I'm stingy? Do you feel like I'm generous? Uh, and again, not don't ask everybody. This isn't like an Instagram poll, but, you know, just ask people that are close to you, people that really you feel like their feedback is going to be accurate, is going to be relevant. OK, um, if that's the case, 
if you do get like good feedback and you feel like it's an area that you're not particularly, you know, weak in, then the answer is that this is something that you should thank Allah for, right? That he gave you this, this substance in your character, that this is not something that you're weak in, okay? You should ask Allah to protect that, to make sure that you don't lose that, because a lot of stingy, a lot of generous people can become stingy, okay? And a lot of very loving people can become jaded and cold. A lot of compassionate people can become merciless. So it's just because you are some way now doesn't mean that something can't change in your life and change you. So ask Allah to keep you that way, right? The dua that we make, Oh Allah, the one who turns hearts, then place my heart firmly upon your religion so that a person never feels like they're ever going to be permanently safe from losing that. Uh, and then the other thing is obviously to then focus on your areas of weakness. Don't don't take one area where you feel good and be like, okay, I'm good now. No, you should not become shy addressing the faults in yourself. Don't become shy in that. As Omar he said, or he was narrated to have said, that I, I enjoy getting criticism more than I enjoy getting praise. Because when I get praise, this is him personally. It doesn't change me. Praise doesn't change something wrong with me. It just affirms something good about me. But he said, when I get criticism about myself, I love it because it actually allows me to fix something wrong. Right? So this is the, the, the personality of Omar. So it's a good, it's a good point to take, inshallah. Um, lastly, before we begin, uh, you know, obviously the entire Ummah and the country of Morocco has us to thank for the win. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't want to do too much, man. I don't know. Just like one day Musa made du'a and it, it, it flooded. He made du'a for rain and it flooded. And he said, I think I made too much du'a. So, um, you know, listen, Wednesday is a big day. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to give the Ummah success in any way, inshallah. We're also going to be having a finals watch party here on Sunday morning, inshallah. So, and Suhba will be open. Uh, hopefully, make du'a, inshallah, that we get all of our appliances installed this week so we'll be able to have you know, our ice drinks, uh, you know, normally not through bagged ice and stuff like that. So we'll be having that. You'll see the flyer go out tonight, inshallah. Uh, and we're also going to be screening the document, or not the documentary, the movie, Farha, inshallah, which is about the, the Nakba, right? The, 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 um, the theft of Palestinian land uh, by the Zionists. So anyways, we'll, we'll be posting those, inshallah, tonight and tomorrow morning. So you guys can get more information on when we're having those events, inshallah. Okay, let's keep going now. Let's read a little bit. So, so far, we are now in the chapter on uh, praising somebody, praising somebody. And we talked about how praising somebody is an indication. It's a sign that a person has goodness in them. Okay, it's a sign that a person is not stingy, that they're not arrogant, that they're not, you know, jealous, right? Envy. One of the fruits of envy is that a person sees no good in others. They don't want to share the spotlight with anybody else. And we talked about to what extent a person should be generous with their words. So, again, we had the stigma. We opened up last week by asking questions. How many of you have ever heard the statement or the idea, don't praise people? Don't praise people to their face. And a lot of us raised our hand. Some said, okay, well, you know, this is something culturally that our parents taught us. Some brought up some narrations of Hadith of the Prophet, where he was referencing overpraise and hyperbolic praise, exaggeration in praise. These are all uh, things and stigmas that exist. Some of them are valid and some are more culturally uh, you know, based, so they're not so valid. 
But what we're learning here and what we're hopefully reconstructing with Imam al-Ghazali here is that saying beautiful things about people and to people is actually from the religion. Saying beautiful things to people directly and about them is a sign of Iman. It's a sign of faith. Okay? Now, he mentions here, I'm going to scroll back a little bit. He says, it is fundamental that you communicate praise of anyone praising. So remember the opposite. He said, don't share when people backbite. If somebody says something bad about your friend, right? Don't uh, Nine times out of 10, don't share that. There's no need to because you don't want to sow the seeds of resentment. And he says that you will become like an innocent bystander that now is involved in that. So you don't want to be... A, now, if this is something to like rectify or to fix the situation, that's concession. That's different. But generally, if people were saying something or whatever, don't hurt the feelings of your friend by bringing up what is negatively said. On the opposite, Imam Ghazali says what? It is fundamental that if you hear anything good about your friend from somebody else, that you should share that with them. You should tell them that. Even if it's like something very, what you would register as like small. Like let's say some, the, the name was just brought up, okay? Let's say you're at a gathering and somebody's not there. Let's say they're out of town or something. And somebody goes, hey, where, where are they, right? And then, they, oh, they're out of town. Oh, they're traveling. Oh, they couldn't make it. At that moment, how many of us pull out our phones and say, hey, by the way, we were just wondering about you. Like, I know you can't make it, but we wish you were here, right? It, it goes a long way. It goes a long way. And for all of you who have ever experienced like drama, Okay, for those of you nodding, like, yeah, okay. You know, these little cumulative moments of saying good and of relaying good, they help preemptively deflate and extinguish any drama that could happen. If you got 10 text messages from somebody saying nice things or good things, and then you heard some rumor about what they said about you, what would generally you do? Your heart would feel inclined to say, you know what, I don't, I don't know if that's accurate because... The last 10 things I heard about this person was that they were being so kind. So maybe that, that is being exaggerated or maybe it's being made up altogether. All but if you didn't have that, if you don't have that storehouse of goodness, of pleasantries to go off of, then you're starting the battle, you know, even keel. It's not fair. It's not a good place to start. So he says, communicate any praise of anyone who praises, showing your pleasure. If you choose to hide that, then that could be an indication of envy. Furthermore, you should thank people for what they do on your behalf. For indeed, it is every intention, right? Indeed, for his very intention, even if he does not succeed completely. So Imam Ghazali here is giving us another ground rule. How many of us say thank you? Anyone here? Anyone say thank you to your friends? Okay. What's the smallest thing you've ever said thank you to your friends for? Giving someone, giving you a napkin? You said thank you for that? How did you do like pause, look them in the eye? You're like, this napkin, man, I'll never forget. Thank you for, okay, good, very good. Now, it's, it's easy for a person to be like, hey, can I get a napkin? Someone gives it, and then what ensues? What happens after that? Nothing, silence, or eating, right? It's easy. And a lot of times, if, if, if you're close with somebody, you would say what? Uh, look, we don't, we don't thank you. Like, that's just whatever. That's normal. It's Adi, right? But taking time out to thank even for the smallest things. Remember the narration we shared last week? The Prophet said that if somebody gave me a, a worthless gift, a dry bone, Quran, if he gave me a dry bone, I would accept it graciously. If someone came up here and gave me a worthless gift, I, the Prophet said, accept it graciously. 
Thank them as if they had given you something. Like the napkin, right? It's irrelevant. Replace that variable with anything. The fact that you would take time out of your meal or you would take time out of your day or whatever to do this for me, thank them for that. Okay, what else? Anyone else? What's the smallest thing you thanked your friend for? Opening the door. Okay, good. The, the, the point is you don't want to become a person that loses sight of even the small things. You know why? Because shaitan doesn't lose sight of the small things. Shaitan doesn't. Shaitan will make it a habit of reminding you about even the smallest moments of inconvenience, even the smallest moments of disrespect. Right? Did you see that? They looked by, they didn't even say salam to you. you see, they didn't hold the door open for you. All those things, shaitan will make you feel that way. Okay, so you have to, your nafs, your soul has to remind itself of all the good things that people have done for you. And a good way to do that, to cement that, is by thanking them. And then he says, Ali radiallahu anh said, whoever does not thank or praise their brother or their sister, even for a good intention, something that was never done, it was never completed for whatever reason, then he says that person probably would not have thanked them for the completed action anyways. Okay, so always look at what's in the heart of somebody as well. And assume the best. It's way too easy to assume the worst. It's way too easy to assume the negative. It's be, I mean, we, we can come up with 70 reasons why somebody did something wrong. But can we come up with that many or more about why they did something right? This is the reality. We have to train ourselves to become people of husnadvan, of good suspicion. All right, next section. This is where we, uh, uh, did, we didn't read this last week. What is even more potent, what's even stronger, in attracting the affection and the love of your brother or sister is to defend them in their absence. To defend them in their absence. Whenever this person is being abused verbally or their honor is being impugned, right? They're being attacked. They're being dishonored explicitly or even by innuendo. Innuendo is like when what? When somebody makes a reference and it's not explicit, okay? So let's say somebody has... Uh, a punctuality problem. They're tardy all the time, all right? And you're like, oh, everyone here on time. Yeah, because you know who's not here, all right? Everyone right now is thinking of that person in their life. Bad. This is exactly what Imam Ghazali is saying not to do, okay? So even whether it's explicit or whether it's by what? Innuendo. Whether it's by some sort of like uh, 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 unspoken word, basically, like a, a gesture or a look. He says, brotherhood and sisterhood calls for swiftness, briskness, in protection and aid for rebuking the fault finder and addressing them harshly. It's interesting, right? Because in the previous sections, Imam Ghazali talked a lot about mercy and compassion, right? Being a person that overlooks. But there are moments in your life where you do have the responsibility to be decisive and to be firm. And one of those moments is when the honor of your brother or sister is being deconstructed before your eyes. Like someone is saying something. You know what's crazy, by the way? Notice that Imam al-Ghazali is not mentioning whether or not the dishonoring is true or false. Notice that. The dishonoring could actually be true. Like the person could be saying something that is accurate. But what's he saying? He's saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not your job to decide if it's true or false, accurate, inaccurate. You don't only defend people if it's inaccurate. And then if it's accurate, you say, you know what? If the shoe fits, no. The Imam is saying what? In every situation... If the person is not there to defend themselves, then you have to be the one that steps up. The Prophet ﷺ taught us this in a different way. When he said what? Do not curse those who are dead. Don't curse those who are dead. 
And he mentioned a couple reasons. Number one is because it doesn't hurt them. It only hurts the living who are connected to them. But another reason that the scholars bring up is that the person who's dead doesn't have the chance to defend themselves. It's one of the most cowardly ways of attacking somebody in their absence. If you really have something to say, then say it to them. Say it to them. Don't subtweet, right? You know, they say, at me, bro. Like, just at them. If, you re- if it's something that is genuinely bothering, it's on your heart, and you want, then go ahead and say it, right? In a way that is respectable, in a way that won't cause a flare-up. Okay, but it's good to, to talk, but don't be somebody that is in gatherings or online or whatever, saying things, indicating, right, whether it's subtle or not so subtle about other people and not defending that. So if you are that person, we got to cut that out. If you are around that kind of behavior, then you're not scot-free. You don't get to walk away saying, oh, I wasn't the person. Because why? We'll talk about this in a second. Because he says not to speak out here. It disturbs the breast. It should, it should hurt the heart. Because the next time you see that person and you remember what was being said and you remember not being there to defend them, you're going to feel that guilt. You're going to feel that remorse. I wish, I wish I stood up for that person. I wish I stood up for that person. You know, I always say that we oftentimes regret saying something. We don't regret being silent. Being silent is almost always you don't regret it, except for situations like this. You regret being silent in moments like that. I should have said something. I should have even changed the conversation. My brother, who's like a spiritual, like, mashallah, he's like amazing. He always had the funniest ways, like subtle, but not so subtle, of how to address this. We'd be in a gathering and someone's name would come up and someone would start to pile on. And my brother would just be like that guy. He's like, hey, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't backbite. And everyone's just like, no, we weren't back. You know, they would, everyone's trying to find loopholes about backbiting. No, no, no. Right. I'd say it to their face. OK, it's still backbiting. Right. It's true. It's still backbiting. You know, the prophet, him, he said this. He asked his companions, do you know what backbiting is? They said what? He said, making mention of your brother and sister with whatever they would not like. It's not about you. You don't get to decide. Oh, they're being sensitive. You don't get to decide. If you know, or if you have a, a sneaking suspicion that they would not like you to say this, then you have a, a, a mandate not to say it. All right? So then the companions asked. They asked a real question. They said, but what if it's true? What if what we're saying about this person, we find it in them? Like, we're not making it up. The Prophet them says, that is riba. You just furthered the definition. He said, if it were not true, then it's called what? Slander, right? Then it's bohtan, then it's slander. So everyone here, we have a responsibility to protect against slander and against riba. Whether or not it's true, we have to defend against it, okay? He says, not speaking out here is a shortcoming in fulfilling the duty of brotherhood. When the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi compared two brothers or sisters to a pair of hands, one of which washes the other, he meant that one should also aid the other and stand in for them when they're not there. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, the Muslim is the brother of their fellow Muslim. The Muslim is the brother of their fellow Muslim. When you see somebody that's, I mean, have you guys ever wondered why the whole Ummah is losing it over Morocco? Like these games, all right? I mean, there might be institutions that are like canceling their pro. My actually, uh, uh, one of my friend's daughter's Islamic schools is canceling class. They're like five years old. <laughs> it's 90 minutes. It's a long, you know, but they're canceling class. Why? Because they're like tajin for everyone. Like we're going to, you know what I mean? Mint tea and, and, and couscous for everybody. 
they're gonna because why why because of one one of the one of the reasons is because of hadith like this. You have a love. If you've ever been for Omar Hajj, you will see people there that will love you for no other reason besides the fact that you are Muslim. They could have a million other reasons to hate you politically. They don't like you. You know this or that. It's true, right? People have differences. It is what it is. Human beings are created differently. We all differ. Some people like this. Some people don't like this. Right? Just ask a Pakistani and an Indian who has better biryani. It's like game over. Like, and walk away. Just drop that grenade and walk away. Okay? It, it is the reality. Ask an Egyptian or a Turkish who has better batlawa. That It's going to be fun. But you know what? What did they say? I was just telling somebody this earlier today when they were saying when there's fights happening in certain countries. In Egypt, they'll say, Salu on, on, on Nabi. When someone's fighting, they'll say, what? Send peace and blessings upon the Prophet Why? What does that mean? It's not like a pacifier. They're not trying to like stuff your mouth with it. They're trying to say what brings us together is stronger than what pulls us apart. We love the Prophet What brings us together is stronger. What pulls you apart is nothing compared to your love for the Prophet Look at the companions around this person, You had Persians and Arabs getting together. You had Aus and Khazraj. You had Muhajirin Ansar getting all these people getting together. Why? Because they love Allah and His Messenger. Okay, so when we talk about the, the, the Muslim is the brother or sister of their Muslim, our default for each other is love. Our default for each other is love. And as a result of that love, what does he say? Number one, he does not wrong him. She does not wrong her. We don't wrong each other. We have a general ethic. We don't wrong anybody. I know some people try to create the distinction like, oh, we can backbite non-Muslims, right? Or, oh, we can cheat non-Muslims, right? It's a dangerous territory. SubhanAllah. There's a narration that says that on the Day of Judgment. The Prophet will stand as a witness for the one who was wronged, even if they were not Muslim, against even somebody if they were Muslim. So if a Muslim person cheats a non-Muslim person in business, they can't stand behind their, their, their kalima and say, oh, I'm Muslim, Ya Rasulullah, defend me. No. Ethics is ethics. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. So number one, though, we do have an extra set of, uh, uh, what's the word, sensitivity, when we know that somebody is Muslim, we, we take extra care. We take care of everybody, but we take extra care. Number two, we don't forsake them. We don't abandon people. We don't give up on them, right? Now, you may, you know, everyone's going to ask after, well, what if this person is toxic and this and that? Okay, that concession, can, these are all concessions. We're talking about general rules, right? You're allowed to create distance. What does abandoning mean in Islam? It means that you don't even acknowledge their existence. You don't return their salam when they say salam. Okay, the bare minimum that we have with each other is the salam. We give each other prayers and blessings of peace. And the third is that we do not betray each other. When the Prophet described a hypocrite, a munafiq, he actually described these opposite traits. He said about the munafiq that this person, they abandon their trusts, they curse, they lie. And when they are trusted, they make sure to, uh, uh, you know, sabotage the trust. Hey, can you hold my wallet for me? Make sure that you don't give it to anybody. Okay, and they hand it to somebody. That's the, that's the hypocrite. So the believer and the hypocrite have opposite character traits. We ask Allah Ta'ala to keep us away from hypocrisy. Okay, what treachery and desertion to abandon this person to the rending of his honor? It is like abandoning them to the rending of their flesh. If you saw someone being attacked, and it's interesting because I would say, you know, just based off of anecdotal evidence, anyone here ever seen World Star? Okay. World star, right? Why am I saying that? Because there's a culture, especially in the West, of filming something, not helping somebody. 
like stopping to film a fight and not helping break up the fight. You guys remember that brother Ibn Ali Miller in New Jersey? You guys remember? You guys ever see that? There was a fight that was sort of brewing and it looked like it was going to get serious. And all of a sudden, this like Muslim looking guy with a beard and topi came flying in like a spear out of nowhere and just broke up this fight. Now, the thing was, this wasn't this wasn't circulating on like Muslim channels. This was on like I know it's obviously it's a challenge now, but I think it was on like Ellen. All right. (laughs) But it was uh, she could have used him on set. So uh, it was on other it was on other places. It was on the news. Like it was circulating in the general media. As a person, like, why? Why did it get so much popularity? Because we're not used to seeing that kind of ethical, like, illumination. What, what, what would you do if you were walking in the street and you saw two people about to square up and fight? What would you do? You'd either, you'd either walk quicker, right, get out of the way, or you'd watch. You'd pull out your phone. Then you'd message all the people on WhatsApp and be like, you know, 10 people will get cursed if you don't forward this. You know, <laughs> you'd create your own version of this stuff, you know? The reality is that if you're, subhanAllah, if you're busy helping, you don't have time to film. You shouldn't have time to film. And that's, that's how we as Muslims should operate. May Allah give us strength. We need to be able to do this. We need to be people that are not going to reach for our phones. We're going to reach for the person and try to help and not try to document, right? That's not the way that we operate, okay? So he says, if you see someone being ravaged by a dog, like you see someone being attacked, I don't mean to trigger everyone who doesn't like dogs here, okay? Tearing your flesh, yet remain silent and unmoved. How would you feel if you were surrounded by people and you're being attacked and all of them are just watching the show? You'd be like, none of you are my real friends. None of you would stood up to defend me when I needed your help. He said that the rending or the destruction of a person's honor is harder on the souls than the rending of flesh. The rending of a person's honor, the destruction of a person's dignity is harder on them than the destruction of their flesh, which is why when Allah was describing backbiting, this is amazing. See, Imam Ghazali just pulls things and he's like, here you go. He said that uh, uh, when a person backbites another, when the brother backbites their brother or sister backbites their sister or so forth, he, he described it as, the imagery is so powerful. He says, would any of you, would any of you like to sit there and consume and eat the flesh of your dead brother or sister? Would any of you like that? And then he says, you would absolutely hate it. It would be distasteful. You would hate it. It would be disgusting, right? Then Allah Ta'ala says, so then remember Allah. Now that imagery, a lot of us have heard it. You guys ever heard that before? Backbiting is like eating the flesh of your brother or sister, okay? We say it very quickly, we move on. Okay, backbiting is like this. The, 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 the examples and analogies in the Quran are meant to be thought about, are meant to be illustrated, are meant to be like in your mind. The images are meant to be brought to life. Not just something that you read over and quickly move on. But you look at it and you're like, oh my goodness. So imagine now in your head, that when you're sitting there, and by the way, there are some commercials from the Arab world. I'm sure from Pakistan, India as well. I'm not trying to pick sides here. But there are some commercials where they've done this as like a PSA. They put together like a party where there's all these women sitting talking or men sitting talking. And they're eating. And then all of a sudden the food turns into like an arm, like a limb of a person. And there's like rotting flesh with pus coming out. It's like disgusting, right? Visual effects for the win. Okay? And they did that. And then at the end of the commercial, it just like stopped and they showed this ayah. 
that's the way that we're supposed to imagine this stuff. Because why? Then you're sitting there in the gathering and someone's saying something and we all do the self-check, right? We all know in our hearts, we're like, okay, well, if this was being said, you know, about me, I wouldn't like it. And then you're imagining that and people are digging in and going, and then you're not saying anything, right? This is what the ayah is supposed to, supposed to make. Hey, that's disgusting. Please stop. In the same way that you would if they were eating the dead flesh of their brother or sister. Okay? So let's go ahead and move forward a little bit, inshallah. He says, therefore, the protection of brotherhood and sisterhood by repelling the blame of enemies is, in fact, okay, and the criticism of fault finders is a duty in the contract of brotherhood. So the next thing he shares with us is like the Muslim golden rule. What's the golden rule? Instagram's pause. Not working. Oh, and a battery died. So we'll take a break, inshallah. Short break. It's okay if it's paused. We'll fix it, inshallah. No, yes, no. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh? We'll try. Yeah, you can restart. Okay, let's keep going, inshallah. All right, we got 15 minutes, inshallah. Let's try to finish this chapter. So he says, so you guys heard the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Nobody? What is it? Yeah, do, do unto others as you would want to be done to you. Golden rule. This is something that is, I don't know where the origin of it is. But it's something that is taught, like, you know, socially it's acceptable in schools and places of work, etc. Right? Imam Ghazali quotes Mujahid, who's a Mufassir, somebody who is the, uh, the reader and the extrapolator of the Quran. And he essentially gives us what the golden rule is. He says, refer to your brother or sister in their absence only what you would accept how they would talk about you. How do you do this? This is difficult. There's a couple measures. He says, number one... When something is said about your brother or sister, consider what you would want them to reply on your behalf if the same were said about you. Literally, he's saying what? Put yourself in their shoes or in their ship ship, their chapel. Okay? Put yourself in their sandals. Put yourself in their shoes and see. Then you must deal accordingly. You have to do the exact same that you would imagine. Number two, suppose that when you're talking about somebody, you find out as you're talking about them that they're behind the wall. They're just around the corner. How would you keep going? You guys ever talked about somebody and then you found out they were listening? Or for this era, for our generation, have you ever missent a screenshot? Everyone knows. People start sweating right now. It's not, it doesn't even happen. You're just sweating thinking about it happening, okay? People send a screenshot to the wrong person, and then you got to play it off. Oh, I'm just saving this for memories, right? Like, what? We're having a disagreement. Okay? It's happened. It's happened, right? Sent the wrong message to the wrong person. These are all examples of when a person loses track of this. It's the same thing. You're talking about somebody, and then someone says, look behind you. Look behind you. And you're like, and you're, you start going back 30 seconds, 45 seconds. In your head, what did I say? What did I say? Right? You wouldn't have to live with that stress if you just watched what you said in the first place. See, what he's doing here, and this is common now in, in, in corporate world and in, in, in mindfulness activities, is about being present. 
know, they're going to pay some like consultant, some mental health guru to come to your company and say, we're going to practice being present. And you're like, oh, great. This is amazing. I wish Islam had this. We do. Okay. <laughs> Imam Ghazali is saying this. He says, just be present. Don't live your life in regret. We are so used to living in regret that we don't know what the present feels like. We are so accustomed to apologizing later or making up excuses that we're not accustomed to like actually figuring out in the moment what we're supposed to do. We're like, I'll just, I'll handle it after the fact. I'll either repent or I'll say sorry or I'll come up with some excuse. No, no, no. Imam is saying, you know how stress-free your life would be if you didn't have to dissect and do like an autopsy on everything you said, right? Number one, he says, is be, be quiet. The less you talk, the less you have to fix, right? I mean, there's rules to this. They'll teach you. If you're typing out a message or an email and it's filled with emotion or anger, they say what? Leave it. Put it in the draft. Give it a few hours. Give it a day. Come back to it later and ask yourself, would I have, would I have sent this now? Now that my heart is rested? Now that my passions are settled? And if you would have, if you find it to be reasonable, then go ahead. But if you... More often than not, you read that and you're like, who was that monster that wrote that? Okay. So number one is just being quiet. Number two is if you think about in the moment what you should be saying instead of saying and then apologizing later. We, we live by the mantra that it's easy to ask for forgiveness than it is for, to ask for permission. And that's a really dangerous way to live. It's a really dangerous way to live. So he says, think to yourself that a person was listening to your words, but you thought that they were unaware Right. You were in, in, you know, you were in fantasy land. You didn't know that they were there. Ask yourself how your heart would be moved to help him when you were in their hearing and their sight. For so it should be in their absence. So this is about you. And also if you're hearing someone said, whenever a brother or sister of mine is mentioned in their absence, I imagine them sitting right there, right next to me. So someone says, hey, did you hear about so and so? He would like look at the chair next to him and imagine like what would his reaction be? What would her face look like? How would they respond? And in that moment, you start to then what? Take that back to the conversation. You feel more empowered and more impassioned to say, hey, if they were right here, we wouldn't be saying that. Okay? So I imagine them sitting there and I say of them what they would wish to hear if they were present. Another person said, whenever a brother or sister of mine is mentioned to me, I imagine myself in their form, in their shoes. Then I say about them, what I wish they would say about me. This is part of genuine Islam. This is part of Islam. A person's Islam cannot be perfected. You, know, you can focus on everything else you want, but if the character of the tongue is, is corrupt, then good luck on the Day of Judgment. May Allah protect us. There will be so many of us that strut on the Day of Judgment like we're going to Jannah only until we get our books of the things that we said. And we're going to open it and we're going to kick ourselves. Ya laytani kuntu turaba. I wish I were dust. What did I say? Even Siri too, right? What did I say? Why did I say that? Why did I say that? Right? Many people, subhanAllah, like there are people that have been interviewed and they ask, like, maybe they don't have their eyesight. Allah tested them with that. Or they don't have the ability to speak or to hear. And they were asked by like, you know, scholars, like, if you could give something, what would you give to have this back? And they said profoundly, these like young kids, they were like, I'm actually going to just live this out. It's tough, but I'm going to live it out. Why? Because on the day of judgment, I'm going to have one entire faculty of my life free from sin. My eyes will have never laid on anything haram. My ears will have never heard that. My tongue will have never said that. And the scholar interviewing them just starts bawling. Because the scholar knows what he's seen or what she's seen. What they've heard, what they've said. 
And they're talking to somebody and that person's like, yeah, I don't have to worry about that. And they start weeping. Like they just melt because they know that they're in a tough spot. May Allah protect us. We're going to be so convinced that we're going to Jannah until we see the things that we said. May Allah Ta'ala forgive us. Okay? This is part of genuine Islam. That you do not see fit for your brother or sister what you don't see for yourself. The Prophet ﷺ said, لا يؤمنوا, لا تؤمنوا أحدكم, لا تؤمنوا, That you do not believe. That you do not love for your brother what you love for yourself. Or a person does not, until they love for their sister what they love for themselves. This is a reality. You have to love for them what you love for yourself. And that includes in language. Abu Darda, this is really powerful, subhanAllah. He was once watching a pair of animals, bulls, that were double yoked. It's a really, it's not like, you know, gain season, yoked, bro. Like, no. He was watching a pair of animals that were both wearing collars and they were like a, a, pre, a pre-modern tractor. Okay, so you know, you got like these big farming machines, these construction machines. They got engines, but back then the engines were animals. Okay, horsepower, that's where it came from. So there are these two bulls that are both wearing these giant yokes around their bodies and they're pulling this plow, and the plow is turning the land over for farming. Okay, now what happens? When you're connected to something else, your movement is also dependent on the movement of the one you're connected to. So Abu Darda is watching this, and this is like such a not spiritual moment. You guys ever been like a, uh, in farmland? There's like very interesting smells and sights and sounds, okay? It's very easy for a person just to see it for what it is. But what about a person like Abu Darda, who's a companion of the Prophet He's there and he's standing and he sees these two animals and he sees one of them stops. One of them just pauses. So the other one tries to keep going and what happens? They get caught. Their neck gets pulled back on the yoke and they have to stop. They look at their, their bull friend and they're like, what's going on? Right? This is bull. There, I'm joking. Okay. I had to do it. Dad joke, right? It's BS, bro. Keep going. Okay. And Abu Darda sees this, and he starts, I don't appreciate the head shakes, but anyone who's shaking their head, when you become a father, come talk to me, inshallah. Something happens, your final form. Okay. Abu Darda, he starts crying when he sees this. He starts crying. See, this is, man, this is what spirituality does. May Allah give us this. You see normal things, and it hits you. You see normal things. Things that everyone else would just not even notice, and it hits you differently. It's not the same. So Abu Darda sees he starts crying. And he says, this is like brotherhood. Whoever you're friends with, if they stop and you're close with them, you'll stop too. You can only go as far as your friend. You can only go as far as the one that you're tied to. Right? So he says, so it is with the two brothers or sisters who are working together for Allah. If one of them halts, the other follows suit. This is so true. It's so true. You have these grand plans. Ramadan comes. You start to make these groups. Wow. You start to make these groups. Let's go to Tarawih. Let's do this. Let's do that. The moment the first person from the group drops, right? Don't be that first person. The rest of the group starts dropping, right? So they say, be very careful who you pick. Not being exclusive. We're not saying be elite. But what we're saying is, if you have have this desire, make sure that the person that you tie yourself to, they're not going to let you down. Don't let them down either. And you should not pick people who would let you down. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to be people who live up to our promises. Okay? Through concord, sincerity comes to completion. And he or she who is not sincere in their brotherhood or sisterhood is a hypocrite. 
Sincerity means, what does sincerity mean? Equality between absence and presence. How many of us pray differently when we're watched versus when we're alone? How many of us talk differently? You don't have to raise your hand. And everyone's like, right? Just for thought, food for thought. How many of us talk differently versus when, when we're talking on, on, you know, texting versus talking in person? How many, one of the most underrated and the most appreciated characteristics any person can have is that they're the same person. The same. And by same here, I don't mean that they're equally horrible to everybody. What I mean is that they try their best to be good in all facets. You know, they speak to, you know, it, there's some hadith where the Prophet would, would talk to older women and say, oh me, my mother. His mother wasn't there. His mother passed away when he was a boy, right? But he's speaking to that elderly woman as if she was his mother, right? How many of us, when we look at someone, we see that this person is someone's mother or their brother or their father, sister, cousin, son, daughter, whatever. It's easy to look at someone and get upset with them. But then when you see that they were someone, somebody, right? Now all of a sudden your heart starts to become active. You treat them as well as you would treat that person that you love in your life, okay? I see a kid that you know, does something and they, they you know, come to Roots for the first time, they take a marker and they start to design calligraphy, right? We didn't pay them for that. They just start doing it. And then it's easy to get upset. But then you think, what if it was my son? How quick would I make excuses if it was my kid, right? Everyone looks at the person's parallel. You guys ever flown on a plane and the baby was next to you? What do you say? Jerks, what do you say? Be honest. <laughs> you're like, oh God, right? And then you forgot your headphones, even worse. You're literally about to buy whatever. You're like, I will pay $500 for whoever gives me noise canceling headphones right now, okay? It is what it is. I'll say it. You know what's coming. Just wait till you're in that position. The empathy that comes from that is what allows you to feel sincerity, to be kind and loving in those moments. So sincerity is a person who is equal in their absence and presence. Like if someone's there or not, they're equal. They're good in both situations. Between the tongue and the heart. What they're saying is what's in their heart, and what's in their heart is what they're saying. When Allah talked to the hypocrites, he said what? He said, يَقُولُونَ بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ مَا لَيْسَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ one of their characteristics is that they talk a big game, but they say what's not in their heart. Why do you say that what you don't do? Allah, when he talks to the hypocrites, he's saying the distance between what you say and do means that you're not true. Right? The truer you are, the smaller that distance becomes. You start to become the same person. Okay? Between the private and the public. And this is a really, really deep cut. You guys ready for this? There's a, there's a saying that all of us have three existences. We have the public self, the private self, and then we have the real self. Public is who you are like here in front of people that you don't know. Private is who you are with family and friends. And then real is who you are when you're by yourself and you're alone. The happiest people are the ones who are the same in all three. Those are the self-actualized. Those are the people who are truly, they've made it. The one who doesn't have to change. Doesn't have to change the way that they are in those scenarios. And again, it's not that they force people to accept their flaws. They don't say, well, I'm a jerk privately, so I'm going to be jerk publicly. No, they say, I'm going to be nice publicly, just like I try to be nice privately. I'm going to try to be the same person. Okay. So he says, this is sincerity, separateness, contradiction, nonconformity in any of this is adulteration of true affection. 
This is an infection of religion and an intrusion on the way of the believers. So one who lacks the capacity in themselves to be true, he says, what? It's better to cut yourself off and retire rather than seek friendship. He said this before too, right? Sometimes it's better to have a hiatus. If you notice in yourself that you can't control the anger, the hatred, the, the, the criticism, all of this, you have to start isolating yourself. Quarantine. Take some time away. You're not fit to be around people, right? There's a social condition that if you're going to go and make people's lives miserable, you got to go, you got to take a night off, right? If you know that you're angry, some people, they just show up to a gathering. They just start talking about everybody, right? You're like, what's wrong? What, you know, what happened to you in the South? They say, who peed in your Cheerios, right? It's gross if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Now they say it. Maybe white people say it. Anyway, so they say it, right? All right. So, but the point is if you know that you're in that kind of mood, oh, sorry, I'm just in a mood. Okay, well, move yourself back to your house in that mood. Like, be away from people. Just like if you were, if you had, I mean, think about it. I mean, if COVID taught us anything, it's about spreading diseases, man. SubhanAllah. And and we've been, we've been spreading backbiting for a lot longer than any other disease that we've had. So if you, if you, and this is responsibility check time. If you know that you're in a funk or you're in one of those moods where you know nothing good is coming out of this night, nothing good. My heart feels irritated, ill content. I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm in a good place. I'm going to be upset and angry. Take the night off, go to the gym, go work out, go to sleep, watch something on Netflix. Don't be around people because it's not worth introducing that destruction into there. Gasoline and sparks need to be kept apart. Okay. All right. So he says, it's better for a person to do that. For the duty of fellowship is onerous, not to be born except by one of true worth. And its reward is indeed generous, not to be except, not to be one except by one who is truly fit. Okay. Um, we'll do three more minutes. I want to do this real quick. There's one more duty that he mentions here that we'll talk about. Okay. He says that. So one is neighborliness. There's two more duties we'll talk about. The Prophet, والسلام, he said, be a good neighbor to your neighbor and you will be a Muslim. Be a good fellow to your companion and you will be a Muslim. Islam is one of the, uh, uh, probably one of the strongest religious traditions in being neighborly, being a good neighbor. Uh, the Prophet, he said that Jibril used to talk about and exhort me upon being a good neighbor so much that this is the Prophet saying this, sallallahu that when it came to inheritance, you're writing your will for when you pass away, what happens to your assets and what happens. He said that I thought that there was going to be a section in my will for the neighbor. That's how much Jibreel used to talk about being a good neighbor. I thought that at some point there was going to be, okay, you give this much and this much, and now your neighbor gets this much. All right? Could you imagine? SubhanAllah. So what does this mean? This means that our religion teaches us that our faith exists beyond our homes. It exists well beyond our homes. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to be good to our neighbors. And this is not just some scholars, by the way, their definition of neighbors will scare you. Because what do you think of when you think neighbors? When I say, how many neighbors do you have? What do you say? Two. Right? Some people say one, the one that I like. <laughs> two. You say two. Some people say five, right? One, two, three, four, five, whatever, like within vision, right? Starting five. Some scholars say as far as you can see down your street. You're like, oh, suddenly I lost my 2020 vision, right? <laughs> Drop my glasses. 
That's a lot of responsibility. Look down your street and see 20 houses. The Prophet them said that that's your responsibility. Like you have to just be there for them, right? One time there was a companion that was cooking, Abu Dhar, and the Prophet them saw him and he was cooking. He was making soup. And he said to the Prophet them, like, I'm making soup, I'm cooking. The Prophet them said, do you have enough for your neighbors? He said, no, I don't. He goes, add more. He told him, change the recipe. He said, add water to it. Like lengthen it, make it make it more. Why? Because how dare you cook dinner and not offer something to your neighbors? Did you guys ever see this growing up? Did you guys ever see like your parents forcing you to carry plates over to your neighbors' houses? They're like, Mom, this is not gonna go over well. I don't know if they like love dudes, right? Like <laughs> dad, I don't know. You know, and this is it. But subhanAllah, this like if you think about the rise of, of Islamophobia, anti-Muslim rhetoric, you will see that one of the factors, one of the it's so, Allah's wisdom is so perfect. One of the uh, variables that completely deflates and extinguishes anti-Muslim rhetoric and hatred is when people meet Muslims. It's crazy. Like there's always, now in the beginning, it's like, okay, you must be different. Like they always said, you know, like growing up, like I had non-Muslim friends and neighbors and they're like, well, you're, you're, a, be- you're, you're a good one. You're one of the good ones, right? And then eventually it just became, well, this must be how you are. This must be how you are. And sometimes the reason why we feel this rhetoric and why we see so much of it is because we are so enclosed. How many of your coworkers know that you're Muslim or Muslimah? How many of them know? How many of them know what that means? I was talking to my neighbor the other day and there's Christmas lights all around, right? And so every day we go outside, it's like a major like Aqidah theology battle with our children. <laughs> why can't we celebrate Christmas? I'm like, we don't, you know, that's not what we believe. Why don't we believe in it? It looks fun, this and that, right? These are like conversations that if, if we recorded them, we'd be in trouble, okay? So I'm talking to my neighbor, and my neighbor is has Christmas lights outside. And um, it's interesting because she's like, we don't even celebrate Christmas. We just put them up because, you know, people like it, kids like it. So my kids are there, and they're like, Bob, are we going to do Christmas lights? And then she looked at me, and she's like, are you? <laughs> and I look, and I feel this pressure, and I'm like, no. I'm like, we have a holiday coming up. We have a season coming up called Ramadan in just a few months. May Allah Ta'ala give us Ramadan, 100 days. So I said, it's coming up soon. And I said, um, you know, give me the contact for your company, whoever put up your lights, because we're going to go, we're going to go all out for Ramadan, 30 nights. <laughs> She's like, that's expensive. I'm like, it's okay. Right? And, and in that moment, subhanAllah, like, there was that deep, like I felt a deeper connection. And you know what she says? It's crazy to me. This is nuts. She says, my parents and my husband's parents are actually Muslim. Like I couldn't tell by looking at them. And then she goes, my parents, my, my, my parents, and my husband's parents are actually Muslim. And she kind of looked a little bit ashamed. She's like, we kind of, you know, fell off. Right. But would we ever have known that? If I didn't take that risk and just try to say what I knew should have been said, which is what? We have Ramadan. What now? You know? <laughs> we have Eid al-Fitr and then Eid al-Adha. Not in that form. So how many of our neighbors and coworkers, and I'm telling you this, I felt the anxiety. I know you do too. I felt it. I was like, uh, you know, I don't want to. They ask what you do for a living. I'm like, I'm a teacher. <laughs> like, where do you teach? I'm like, this building. They're like, where? I'm like, nearby. Like, you know, like, I don't want to. It's like the most shady thing ever, right? What school district? I'm like, we have our own. Like, it's just, <laughs> I feel the anxiety. Because then if you're, if, if you're, what do you do for the, I mean, mom, oh, okay. Is it true? The age of, I was like, oh man, everything. 
I have like a script that I have to go through. Okay. So sometimes you just want that off, you know, clock out. Right. But subhanAllah, when you do the right thing and when you represent your faith properly and when you, and when you, again, it doesn't mean you're perfect. Okay. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Of course not. No one's perfect. But what it means is that you're able to at least talk about it. And how many people now, right? I remember I gave my other neighbor, went to Turkey, we came back, I brought uh, some some, badawa, some baklava, and I gave him like two pieces of baklava. His name's Jason. And I gave it to him, Jason, his wife. And uh, he has a dog, and we're not going to get a dog. So my kids are just like, that's their adopted dog. They just get to wave at him from the window. And I gave him the baklava, and wallahi, like till this day, I, know, I went to Turkey in June. Like it's been, it's been half a year. Whenever he sees me pulling out the driveway, pull out at the same time, he's like, that baklava man was crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, he doesn't understand that he can make it. Like, he doesn't get it. <laughs> he's like, it's crazy, right? And again, this is the sad part. I know we're like, a good time, but this is the sad part. I believe that these things matter so much because we are a, a society and a country that doesn't have neighborliness. We don't have it. No one knows what it feels like. So when you give them a they're like, this feels amazing. This feels amazing. You know, it's one of those things that subhanAllah, like, I feel like the Muslims can revive. It's it's one trait that we can absolutely bring back to life. This is why this book is called Ihya Ulum al-Din, the revival of the religious sciences. These things are not absent. They're there. They're dormant because of us. Right? And when you see the success of Muslims anywhere, you see that they, they revive things that fell dormant. Okay. So the Prophet Sallallahu is saying this. Now, how does he say this? We'll end right here. He says, observe, uh, Imam Ghazali comments, observe how he makes Iman the reward for fellowship and Islam the reward for neighborliness. Thus, the distinction between the excellence of Iman and the excellence of Islam is defined as the distinction between the difficulty of fulfilling one's duty as a neighbor and one's a fellowship. Meaning that your friends are, it's hard to maintain that relationship it's also difficult for your neighbor as well. Fellowship gives rise to many duties and circumstances that follow one another in close succession, while neighborliness gives rise to pressing duties only at wide intervals and not a lasting basis. He's just saying here that neighborliness is on the scale. It's less than companionship, but it's on the scale, and we have to do that. I, I, I want to conclude now because Ersh is in 15 minutes. I don't want to run over time. But we don't have class for the rest of the year, unfortunately, uh, because I'm going for Umrah, inshallah. So... Uh, I'll be leaving next week, so make dua for us. I'll be making dua for you. Uh, I also probably uh, tore my ACL last night, so uh, I'm going to be making Umrah on no ACL, which, you know, eat your heart out, Russell Westbrook and everyone else who plays on injury. Make dua that. I just got the readings. I'm going to go after this, actually, to a radiologist and get it read. Make dua that it's okay, inshallah, inshallah. Not trying to be dramatic, but just make dua. I feel like Allah can magically heal my ACL in between now and then. Uh, that'd be great, inshallah. Okay, so we don't have class for the rest of the year, inshallah. Uh, we do have the events coming up this weekend, right? The World Cup uh, viewing on Sunday, and then we're going to sh- uh, show Farha, inshallah, uh, on Saturday. Uh, I'll get the flyers out. We'll have the flyers out tomorrow morning. But next class that we have, next session that we have, he's going to talk about one of the rights of brotherhood and sisterhood is giving and receiving advice, right? Brotherhood and sisterhood do not exist in, in, a, in, a, in utopia, Advice is required in moments of vulnerability and there's gaps. Like every friend, every brother, every sister who's close to somebody is going to notice something and they're going to be noticed. So then what do we do then? Do we just stay silent? Do we only praise good things? 
how do we fix the flaws that we see within ourselves and others? He's going to talk about Nasiha, inshallah. So we'll talk about that uh, next time we meet, which I think will be January 2nd. Yeah, inshallah. All right. So we'll see everyone, inshallah, then. May Allah Ta'ala bless you. Have a safe end of the year. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Take care, inshallah. Aisha is in 10 minutes now. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Oh, 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 pause, 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 pause. Hold on. We have a very important dua. Our brother Osama, his uncle, Majd, 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 was was um, diagnosed with cancer and they caught it very late. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to give him shifa kamila. We ask Allah Ta'ala to uh, replace the illness he has with, with health and to cure. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make it easier on his family. I mean, we also ask that if anyone here has any diagnosis, whether it's mental or physical, any ailment, uh, we ask Allah Ta'ala to make it easy for them, to give them the best from it, to remove any harm from them, and to make it easy on their loved ones. I mean, I mean, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallah, alhamdulillah, ilaha 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 ilaha